Hi everyone, and welcome to a new episode of the Software Crowds podcast. Today with me, I have Yepa, and Yepa is a hands-on software architect and the founder of Cloud Create, where he helps customers build scalable and evolvable solutions. He has a passion for building loosely coupled event-driven systems. Hello, and thanks to be with us today. Hello, and thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. It is, it is. I sense that will be a fun episode. And to start our episode today, we have a pattern, and to, the pattern is called Make a Bridge to the New Town. What are your experiences with this pattern? It's a, it's a pretty common pattern, uh, especially when you're, when you're exposed to enterprise um, customers. Uh, which has been my predominantly background. It was um, within financial systems. So they have a lot of existing systems and they want to, you know, modernize it and, and move on to newer systems. But there's always this tendency that uh, that the legacy system is, is hard to, you know, move forward. And then sometimes we get into this case where we where we need to figure out a way to migrate and uh, and that that's where this uh, pattern comes in. Cool. So you talk about enterprise customers and modernization. Um, when I also think about this pattern, I was also thinking about the teams, right? Uh, in your experience, right, from uh, from your past, when dealing with this pattern to to modernize, it's usually just one team handling everything and using this pattern, or also you experience this pattern. Um, over multiple teams. Well, I've I've had it predominantly with multiple teams. So it's typically that you have uh, an existing legacy system that uh, you want to extract a part of the functionality of, and the new team or the other team uh, that I'm involved with will typically have you know the responsibility of building the new system, building this new functionality, and uh, adopting. Uh, ownership of the data that belong to the legacy system. So mostly uh, cross teams um, has been my experience. Cool. And um, how do you see the collaboration between teams goes uh, in these situations and using this type of pattern and data going left and right? Um, being positive experiences or um, the teams needs to find the collaboration patterns and cooperation patterns between them yeah so that's uh yeah it's, it's it's always a challenge when things goes across teams um I, you know ddd has a has a lot of good example of uh what we can do in, in in these cases you know depending on what kind of cooperation we can have uh so it's 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 really about what kind of report you can build with the other team um, the mutual understanding there is behind this need uh, to move data out and functionality out. There's um, it, it can get troublesome if uh, if if the management is not behind this and and it and it feels like a almost you know we you haven't built this probably so so we are going to take this over. So so for me it's always really really important to to establish uh, a foundation for collaboration where, where there's a mutual understanding and mutual respect. I think that's, that's, that's key to me. 
Yep. So um, I see that you are um, what I call the new wave of software architects, right? Going with the, the collaboration and cooperation between teams. And it's interesting that you talk about TDD. Um, when you are doing, uh, as an architect, uh, doing these modernizations and moving data left and right, um, do you use the, the DDD collaboration patterns to, to enhance this work and also to explore what the enterprise has? Or do you just typically focus uh, with the scope of the team? Well, I, I typically try to understand uh, as a first step, what is the landscape that we have? So so what, what, what do we have already in place? What are the existing boundaries? What are the existing communication uh, paths and patterns um, that are used for, for the, the different software? Um, typically, it's been my experience that when you're building a new system, you're, you're often overlapping with a lot of existing legacy systems. So it's, it's really important to try and, and, and figure out what do we have and then match that with where we want to go. And then from there, try to, to define a journey um, because it's very much for me uh, an iterative process. I see, and I I see the 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 keyword here. It's journey, right, and overlapping functionalities between these systems. And in my head, before we we jump on these uh, concepts of journeys and what do you mean by journeys, how are you, or what are the techniques or practices that you use or or enable teams to use with regards to quality, right? Because we are talking about data, we are talking about data at some point in two different systems, the old one and the new one. How do you guarantee the, 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 the quality from the, the, the user point of view? Yeah, so that is that is a really tricky uh, case because typically what I've, the systems I've been exposed to, you have an existing UI um, so, so that, that might be, you know, terminals, uh, for, for, uh, older mainframe based systems or old web based systems. So, so what I really like to avoid is, is having these multi-master systems as we progress forward. So I I'd like to keep one master of the data or leader or owner of the data, uh, to use a more current uh, terminology, um, because the worst that we can get into is, is is this situation where you have a person in one system uh, with one UI updating data and one in another uh, system updating, and you end up with you know uh, either you know overlapping changes or direct, directly you know uh, conflicts where you will need to have a specialized UI to to capture this or 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 to resolve these issues. Um, the most typical thing is just, you know, you came, you, you, you make the change last. Um, we have an optimistic exception here. You need to go and, and, and reload the data and then retry again. So I really like to keep it so that data is only modified in one place. And then we can slowly start to read data, you know, where we slowly migrate data out for instance, that could be triggers, it could be events, things where we slowly get data out of the existing systems and are able to project them into to the model that uh, that we'd like in the new system. 
And from there, we can have um, the UI present data based on this model, uh, well knowing that uh, there will be some, some consistency um, a period of latency between the changes happening in, in the original system and showing in the others. And there are a lot of patterns uh, to deal with that. One of the simplest one is just to show this is the data as of when we knew it. So writing, this is the customer uh, data. It was last updated, you know, five minutes ago. And if you know someone else changed it or you changed it and you can't see it, then you know why that is uh, so. So I really like to to avoid having multiple ownership of data. That's that's one of the key parts for me. Yeah, I see that you have that uh, strong principle, which um, can avoid lots of headaches. Let's call like that, especially at enterprise systems with uh, interesting volumes of data, right? Yeah, um, definitely. Yeah, and you talk about uh, uh, events and eventual consistency because you were talking about latency. So now I'm going to uh, uh, do a devil's advocate uh, question uh, to spice up the interview. Is really latency or eventual consistency a problem for the most of the business systems that we deal as architects and engineers? Not in my opinion, not at all. It's, it's, it's a fact of how the world works. Um, it's it's often uh, when when I'm discussing event-driven systems with with the people that are new to it, they often uh, come with the question saying, "Well, well, how would we deal with this, uh, you know, uh, eventual consistency issue?" Which they they, you know, basically come up with saying, "If I do this in my system, I publish an event, and then I do this afterwards. Uh, what if I don't receive the event in time, or if I receive it and then do something based on?" the data in the event and you know people can come up with all kinds of different you know problems that they end up in and oftentimes um and this this brings me back to one of my uh, my my pet peeves uh, i think i hope that's the right term but it's the, this race condition uh problem that if you look at it from a business perspective we they're so used to working with um eventual consistency Whereas we as developers are very, you know, we have a transaction, we update multiple tables, we have a transaction that's committed, and then we know the world is consistent. But that is basically a lie that we're telling ourselves, because if you look at it from, you know, from a data perspective, uh, even a database makes optimizations. And, and you know, most systems run with a commit uh, uh, isolation level of read committed. Um, so even though you're loading up data, you're doing modifications, you're storing data and committing your transaction, ch things will have changed in the meantime and you won't be aware of them. So it's it's sometimes just a question of, you know, how much latency will make your problem into a huge problem. And should it matter that there's, you know, one millisecond of latency or one second or 10 seconds? Is it something that we can build the system to actually be able to work with and, and, and cope with as a, as a normal fact of the business? And that's that's what I try to build when I build systems. So so it's 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 kind of like a foundation. It's it's like working with nature uh, instead of uh, or physics instead of working against it. 
Definitely, I, I can see where you come from, right? Because uh, uh, if I call you and you don't pick up the phone, well, you have a register of that event, right? That is how life mm -hmm. works. Uh, I also remember when I worked in an e-com company, one of the teams near us handled financial systems. So uh, if you get, if you sell certain product above a threshold, you have a different price, right? Uh, mm -hmm. which means that you need to go to the past and change prices. Well, you cannot go to the past. You just emit a new event that corrects that, right? So mm -hmm. uh, thinking in events, it's a very interesting one, which I think that goes against the nature that for the privileged one, like me, went to college, when they teach that the world is consistent at database level. That is what you were referring last. Yeah, exactly. Meeting which is a very interesting one because it's just an abstraction, is not consistent at some point in time. It's just handled by a machine that is way too faster for our perception. Exactly. Right? And now I think this ties back when you were, we were talking about TDD and how you visualize and journeys. So in these conversations with uh, people that create software, software developers, engineers, uh, architects, where this latency and even though consistent pops up, do you have a go-to technique to, to link back to the journeys or, or to link back to, to uh, eager patterns of the systems? Um, I'm not sure I follow it. Could you elaborate a little bit? Yes, I can. So uh, uh, usually when uh, I saw it, this is my experience, right? Talking with teams, they, they focus on their own area, right? Uh, if we talk in mm -hmm. terms of the DDD, one or two bounded contexts, so they don't see the world. When they are exposed to customer journeys or or, or uh, business journeys that cross even departments, right? Uh, mm -hmm. They start to understand, oh, actually what I'm trying to optimize doesn't make sense. So my question is, in these cases, right, because I'm assuming that you have a similar experience, what are your go-to visualization techniques or practices to, to help the teams to understand what is around them? Because we are talking about enterprises. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so uh, I started working with event storming quite a few years ago, uh, and, and found that to be a really, really effective way of of, of investigating uh, a problem domain top down to try and, and and get the the use cases and the you know split of responsibilities and how a work process or a business journey. Um, or you know, like a, a sales fulfillment process, how it goes from end to end, what what services or domains or entities are involved, and then using the events to to chain this together, and 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 recently I've been quite keen on on using the event modeling approach, with actually drawing it. So I I, I see it as a very nice split between uh, you know BPMN swim lane thinking. And, and the more uh, flexible way of having, yeah, we have some commands, we have some side effects, and we might have some views, and we have some automated processes. So I, I really like to, to work with people, um, either you know, in teams or on one-on-one, -on -one to, to draw out these processes, because it, it really helps to, to broaden the vision, as you mentioned as well. Because there's always this challenge that when you're on a team, you, you, you kind of get tunnel vision. Um, so you see your problems from your perspective and sometimes lose, you know, the bigger picture of my sub optimization here doesn't necessarily matter in, in the grand scheme 
of the business. It, it would actually be better if we ensured that uh, processes uh, fail less often um, or systems are able to recover in, in cases of, of failure. This is one of my really, really uh, uh, big interests um, having systems that can fail and when you you know either reboot or another service takes over it is able to recover itself and then resume from you know where things went wrong um, so it's I, I really love for for people to see the large picture of you know you're in this let's say we're we're building a service oriented architect you're in this service here's the role that we are playing in this service here's why it's important that you know, we we have uh, you know good strategy on on publishing good events and, and having clean interfaces and and this is why we're doing things, um, which is something that that can easily get lost. So when we're building systems and we're building it too isolated, you know, what's the point of uh, what, what role do we play? Sometimes that's that that can that can get lost. Definitely, definitely. And you touch a uh, uh, lot of points, especially in this last part, right? Uh, if I hear you correctly, you were talking about resilience engineering. And uh, I like also that you brought service-oriented architecture. Uh, for lots of people, is that. Now it's the microservices, right? Yeah. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> do you really think that service-oriented architecture is dead or we are getting back and getting the good parts of SOA without the tools? Yeah, that's I, I I definitely don't believe so as that. Um, I I started uh, my journey into service oriented architecture um, back in two, 1999, 2000, when it was called Enterprise Java Beans, and we learned a lot of about <laughs> uh, what could you say. Distribution and 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 how bad it can go when 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 you try to distribute too much and then we slowly ventured into web services, and the layered SOA. So we we would have these entity services and we would have the task services and then the process services on top. And and I just saw how gridlock things became, because we were we were splitting uh, things wrong. So, so we had decoupling, but we didn't have coherence. Um, and when I saw the first articles around microservices, and it's quite funny, we were actually part of a project in 2009 where we made something we called microservices because it was these small things that had their own UI and they were governing their own data and you could deploy them individually. Um, and we just found them to be really flexible, um, uh, small things that, that could live in isolation. And that was where they, it ended back then. They didn't have much interaction, but but it was a really nice pattern. But what I saw uh, with microservices when they were popularized is this notion that yeah, well, we have a we have a service for a database, our model. We have a service for the logic, and that calls the service for the database. And then we have services calling service, calling service, calling service, and I've been part of a SOAR architectures where services called service, called service, sometimes called back to the service that called them and called service, called service. And we were talking latency end to end in minutes. And that's that's where I I started like, I've seen this before. 
I've seen how bad it can go. So that's why I actually back in, in 2014 started writing articles about microservice and let's not focus on size, you know, 10 lines of code, 100 lines of code. It's about figuring out what belongs inside that boundary. What is a healthy boundary? And that's where I, I'm I'm really strong believer in, in, in Udi Dahan's view on service-oriented architecture. Um, that it's a that's a technical uh, authority for a business capability or bounded context. And it owns all the data, all the UI, all the logic. And, and that's how I've been building services since 2012. And I've just seen how, especially combined with an event-driven architecture, how strong of a pattern it is, how flexible it is, um, how we, you know, three years into a project can realize that we, we need to add a whole new business capability. And sometimes, it, you know, when you get to that, you, you realize that hmm, our boundaries weren't right up front because they will never be 100% right. But we were able to move functionality. We were able to migrate, you know, data uh, from other services into these new services. And um, that was just, you know, it was a gut feeling that I had uh, seen a lot of great people talk about it. I've had exposure to it, seen it, how it could work on, on smaller scale, and then seen later on how it worked in large scale. And, and that's, that's really where I see services is, is something, you know, not that small, but you can split it up into smaller parts, um, which can be individually deployable. So it's not like, you know, you have a one-to-one, -one, you have a service that's, you know, one thing that you can deploy. It can be multiple. You can have it at different tiers. You can have it different layers. Um, we've used the approach with the autonomous components where we build them with distribution in mind, but we, we, we only distribute them, you know, deploy them individually if we saw the value in it, because there's, there's just a lot of overhead in having, you know, 1500 microservices, whereas you might have, you know, 10 applications with a lot of different autonomous components co-deployed into them. Um, and the pattern that we used was a federated bus where it didn't matter to these autonomous components if they were co-located or if they were deployed individually, the communication patterns were the same and they were, 99.5% event based yeah yeah and and that is what i i think that gets back uh, to the the patterns with the domain driven design community right is to to uh, have these boundaries discuss what is in what is out and uh, my feeling is what you just described is just that right there are lots of technical patterns but having the same means of communication, right? Uh, even mm -hmm. if the, 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 the services are co-located even in the same machine, right? So the communication can be faster through even different data centers. And then you yeah. talk about two things that I don't see, and this is very opinionated, uh, the community talking, that is the unit of change and unit of deployment. I think that you just yeah. described the unit of change. You have components, but if they don't change too much and they have some cohesion, perhaps just deploy them together avoid all of the hassle of changing if you have yeah. part of your landscape that has a huge rate of change because the project is on year two and now you are investing on that capability make those right yeah and and it's very interesting your description and uh, 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 examples so thanks for that you're welcome yeah 
And going to 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 another one, so you talk a lot about event-driven uh, architectures. Um, do you think or do you feel that uh, the people on our industry, on software industry, mix up an event-driven architecture with event sourcing? I think so. Yeah, uh, they seem to be, you know, put together uh, as you know, we can't have, you know. We can't have event driven without event sourcing, and that that's of course not true. Uh, you can definitely have it uh, individually. There there are pros and cons, and not everything works well with with event sourcing. Uh, it can be too big of a hammer. It's it's a hammer I love. Um, it's it's brought me a lot of flexibility, but sometimes it's just you know we need to look at the problem domain. We need to look at the things we're trying to solve. And then figure out if that works. But you can still have that with events, uh, you know, using a traditional relational database or MongoDB or whatever you have underneath in a three-layer architecture or in a two-layer architecture, whatever is, you know, the right thing for, for the job or for the task at hand. Um, I've seen a lot of people try to, to, you know, or let me start from... A, Kafka really did a lot of good for event-driven architecture. Um, and I've seen a lot of people try to, you know, shoehorn event sourcing into Kafka, even though uh, the good people at Confluent say, this is not what we are built for. Uh, don't do it. Um, you know, for instance, the, the lack of uh, secondary indexes. So if you need to load all uh, events for an aggregate, you will need to, you know, look through the entire log potentially. Um, but it did a lot of good uh, for the for the community, uh, and I've seen it used in more and more places. Um, I've seen a lot of places where it was used without event sourcing. Um, there, I see the challenge being CRUD events um, because the 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 thinking is in I have a traditional uh, relational or you know uh, object model and what are my use cases? Well, I'm creating, I'm re, not reading, but um, deleting, I'm updating. And that tends to become the events that are published as well. Um, another thing I've seen um, is that the naming scheme is, is very confusing. Sometimes um, it's, it's more command oriented, where, but it is really events. So events should always be in past tense. So it's, you know, customer created, parcel shipped, uh, order canceled. Um, and, but, but I see people working towards a more loosely coupled architecture. And, and, and that, that brings me, you know, joy and hope. Um, because what I've seen with the alternative is that we, we get the spaghetti of, you know, request response all the time. And, 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 oh, yeah, I also need to call these guys or I need to call that service after I call this service. And then you you can risk getting back into this um, enterprise service bus uh, style of thinking uh, where, where let's 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 centralize the logic, um, which really hurt a, a lot of uh, projects and a lot of companies um, because you it's basically introducing a new middle management layer where everyone needs to go and ask and request something and that there is no, you know, uh, consumer and provider aren't, aren't talking to each other. They're talking to the middle layer that is doing the mapping and, and sometimes also the logic. And, and 
and in my opinion logic of course belongs together with the data within the service so the 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 good parts i see is that kafka and, and a lot of the other things that have been introduced are are not focused highly on on getting logic uh, ownership they're they're focusing on focusing on data uh, distribution and and data management so so that's that that gives me hope yeah let's see how the 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 it evolves right um we had uh, a few episodes back uh, the author of uh, flow architectures so uh, we were talking about that and how this can evolve so uh, this concept the truth is that the becomes the more ubiquitous or, or cheaper to handle events than was in the past, right? Uh, you mm-hmm. talk about events and enterprise service buzz back in the day, right? These systems were really, really expensive. for the, Extremely expensive, yeah. For a company with And that's 10 why they people. got centralized, sorry. Exactly, <laughs> exactly, exactly. And yeah. for a, a startup with 10 people to do that, but today if we have our startup with 10 people, we just spin up something in the cloud, off we go. Yeah, Very cheap. yeah, exactly. It's uh, it's super cheap and it's easy and that's that that that's a really good step forward in my opinion. Yeah. So you also we talk about journeys, we talk about learning, and now you talk about crude events that are uh, parts of the community think that they are not really events. So um, if we have these crude events or a team try to embark on these event driven uh, uh, type of style. They start with crude events. What is your advice and, and uh, uh, for these teams to move from these crude events to meaningful uh, events? What I've what I've done in the past is is look uh, and 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 go into why the events are named as they are um, and why often also um, why they are containing a lot of data. Um, oftentimes I've found that it's, it's basically used as a data duplication mechanism. So it's when, when we have boundaries that are, um, overlapping in to certain degree, you have this tendency that whenever things update in one part of the system, in one service, you kind of want that data somewhere else, because otherwise that service uh, we'll need to do request response. Um, and, and that is to me, it's, you know, we can't have a perfect architecture. We can't have, you know, perfect boundaries, but it's, it's always a smell when, when someone else, uh, you know, requests your data and they just request it now in, you know, in an asynchronous, uh, pull fashion, you know, you, you're getting it, uh, storing it. And, and what I see is that that tends to become, you know, a new new conflict point. Uh, they feel ownership of it. They maybe amend the data. They start updating it. If if not everyone is is keenly aware of that, the fact that this is a read only version. Um, sometimes it becomes, you know, a slippery slope to to just even more entanglement. So yeah, I have that data. If you could send me this data as well then I have everything I need for my join. Um, and that's, that's, that's where I often see either crowd events comes from, from lack of, you know, business focus. Uh, so, so for these cases, we go back and then we try to model uh, the business flow as events. 
and and whenever you know a crowd event comes up um we talk about what is the what is the intent behind this so so that that brings us back to oftentimes the ui uh what kind of ui intention can you provide is can you define a well-defined command where you can capture the intent of the of the end user if you have the command it's it's often much easier to derive the date uh, the event from it because it you know it's a ship order and the, the event would naturally become order shipped not that there's always a one to one relationship between them but 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 it's more often than than not uh, the case so so i really like to go back to try and figure out why are we doing things um, to try and and improve on the architecture slowly and that can still happen with you know with with the, the same data model underneath just the fact that you are starting to introduce a command and a ui that you know tries to capture the intent instead of just one screen where you do a lot of things you have a check mark you have some data here and then you click save and then you go to the next screen and the 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 thing you wrote on the previous screen you also need to write on the next screen i was i was once exposed to a deployment tool where you had to go through i believe it was around 20 different screens and it was sometimes you need to write something and then it, you you press save then you need to copy a value you need to go to another screen you need to write something and then you need to duplicate something from the previous screen and then you press save and then you went to another screen and then you have to copy an id and you know the workflow was um it was not coherent uh, it was just you know data reused and then people defined the process on top by by copying data in the right way and then finally when they've gone through all 20 screens you would end up with a system that was consistent but there was typically only one or two people in the company that knew how to do it because they had the business process in their heads um, so so it 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 oftentimes comes back to the user experience and um, what is the end user you know exposed to and what are they capable of so we we've done it a lot really focusing on what is the business intent behind the thing we're doing right now to try and get out of uh, of, of a crowd mentality and that's where i see it as a start to 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 slowly fix it to to try and introduce explicit commands great great I, I i see similar journeys there and i think that you touch a very important point right you talk about user experience which uh, most of us engineers are not well versed to but you you touch the point where uh, uh, when we have more people focus on these journeys on the experience yeah. usually we boil down and negotiate what the intent is which means that our systems sometimes are simpler not as that no. convoluted as we build them. Um, we talk about events, and events um, have time. And unfortunately, we, we, we cross the time half an hour mark for our episode. So yeah. the last question is, what are the resources that you recommend to our audience? Books, podcasts, blogs, courses for people to deepen the knowledge? Yeah, so... Uh... There has been uh, quite a lot of development around event modeling, so I would definitely uh, recommend going to the event modeling uh, homepage. I believe it's eventmodeling.org. 
um there's a lot of good and i know they're arranging um different online courses um where they have you know really great speakers uh from a, you know many different backgrounds um greg young has a really good ddd course i will highly recommend that and the same goes for udi dahan's uh, advanced distributed systems i believe it's called he has a course and i believe the first two days are for free online these these were you know the greg young course and 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 blocks and you know videos of him and udi and the articles around bill pool um, I believe they're still online. He only wrote uh, articles or blog posts for for about a year, but they're really, really good and makes you think a lot. So sometimes you 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 hear something and say, "Wow, that sounds that sounds really right." But how do I solve this and this and this? And that's where you slowly, you know, progress into a different mindset and a different way of thinking and a different way of asking questions. And I think that's what I really got from it. Sometimes when you're stuck or you're you're doing something that's not really working, sometimes it's it's the question that you're asking yourself or your team is asking. Um, sometimes you know by by flipping the question around. Um, you, you can come up with different solutions. And sometimes when you say, well, there's no way out of this, we need to have a distributed transaction between this and this and this, and otherwise the, everything will fail. Um, sometimes, you know, saying, what if I couldn't do it? What would I need to do instead? So so really, you know, what I've learned from, from a, a lot of the different, and there are a lot of more, more really clever people that I, I didn't mention in this, this list is, is is asking questions, and I think that's that's one of the things I love about the DDD community is really asking questions, and 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 testing you know boundaries and and different ways of looking at things and not being you know methodical. It's only this way we can only do it, and we need to have a a, a repository pattern. Otherwise, you know you cannot do it, and if you don't have an entity and call these value objects and you will fail. So it's really, you know, have a elastic mind and being able to question things. That's, um, that, that's what I take out of, uh, of this, this uh, movement um, towards, you know, building better software. Thanks. Thanks. Uh, I think that the, the audience will enjoy and thanks for the, your last piece of advice. Ask questions seems to be a recurring topic in this podcast so uh, yeah thanks for this and uh, welcome yes and so we close and once again thanks for your time and uh, to be with us and sharing your journey and your experiences you're most welcome and thank you for the invitation no problem speak to you around yeah bye-bye you can follow us on twitter at scrafts podcast Visit our website softwarecraftspodcast.com or follow our page on LinkedIn. Hope to see you next week.